0: Honestly, throughout my career, I've just generally followed the things that I've been interested in and considered it an act of making or creating mm. as opposed to starting a business. And I think that's really freed me up a lot. I think there's certain ways of thinking which are Just quite intimidating. Instead, what I found works well for me over time is to really broadly visualise, oh, this is what it could look like. Wouldn't that be fun? This would be amazing. But right now, all we're doing is trying to get from here to here. The thing which always worries me is when people go, one day I'm going to quit my job and start the business but they don't do, you know, anything on the way. Mm. And I think, you know, I've given myself the opportunity to learn by failing in a whole bunch of ways. Welcome
1: to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay I'm Sarah Holloway or Spoonful of Sarah a lawyer turned entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt challenge joy and fulfillment along the way Welcome back, everyone. I feel like so many things have happened since last week. We had a very spontaneous Seize the a Facebook community meetup on Friday night when I randomly decided a few days before to throw out an open invite to dinner, and it was amazing. There were seven of us at the table ready for some speed eating and mind-opening, and from my perspective at least, it was an absolute blast. We spend so often in our familiar networks, having similar conversations with similar people, and as weird as it seems, it's so refreshing to meet brand new humans and find out what makes them tick. Nick and I learnt so much from Brianna, Ebony, Nathan, Kelly, Jess. Thank you all so much for coming, especially given the distances that some of you travelled from, especially at last minute. And for those who mentioned that they would have loved to join, there'll be many more, so don't you worry. I also did my first half marathon over the weekend with the amazing Nike team at Run Melbourne and I'm still a bit in disbelief as I've gone from passionately hating running and struggling with three kilometres to enjoying every moment of the 21Ks. It was a lovely reminder, firstly, that you are always more capable than you realise, secondly, that you can't say you hate something before you give it an actual red-hot crack, and thirdly, that some things can't be done without baby steps and lots of patience. It was such a lovely day to see so many people from all walks of life get up so early and brave the cold to explore our beautiful city together and support each other through the tougher moments. I had so many feels the whole way along mm Little bit sore, as to be expected, but smashed out a hectic ice bath and sauna to get back on a plane this week for more Nike action. I'm so excited to be off to South Korea for something that's a secret until a couple of days' time. So stay tuned for info on the adventure and some follow up episodes to come. As for today's episode, this is one of those guests who I have admired from afar for many, many years, since way before I even contemplated starting a business. So I feel even more privileged and excited to have sat down with the incredible Cyan Taid than usual, which is saying something. Cyan founded her first business just one year after entering the workforce, but it's her third in VATO that propelled her onto the international stage. Invato is the world's leading marketplace and community for creative assets and creative people. And Nick has actually been a customer for over 10 years with his creative agency, The Bushy Creative. You'll hear all about its crazy growth to over 7 million members and nearly $100 million of turnover. And for most, that would be enough. But Cyan went on to start a chocolate social enterprise called Hey Tiger, which is absolutely divine, and just added some incredible new vegan flavours to its amazing amazing range think strawberry balsamic chocolate or popcorn flavored chocolate it's amazing but most excitingly this week her brand new baby milkshake has just launched solving the age-old frustration of only having one link in your instagram bio and not being able to edit your website on your phone milkshake allows you to build your own insta website to pop into your bio and bring all the boys to the yard making instagram work harder for you I'll leave Sian to tell you the rest and hope you enjoy. Hello, Sian. Thank you so much for having me in this amazing office. Oh, thank you for thank you for having me on the podcast. Oh, it, this is so exciting. I was just saying before, Nick has a creative agency, so he's been using Invato for 11 or 12 years. I think he went into his account to figure out when he first started. And we've been listening to, you know, when you have a demo of any of the creative assets, particularly audio, there'll be music that comes over and then a voiceover that goes, audio jungle. And we've always, always <laughs> laughed about it. I don't know why. And he was like, are you actually meeting her today? I was like, I'm meeting the Invato lady. <laughs> <laughs> the voice
0: of audio jungle, yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh, so amazing. I'm so excited to have you on the show. So thank you so much. <laughs> no, it's a pleasure. I'm excited too. So before we kick off, the mm-hmm. first question I ask everyone is what the most down to earth thing is about them? Because I think, you know, particularly when you are kind of further into your journey, you're not at the very beginning anymore, and it is, you are incredibly successful. It can be a bit intimidating for, you know, the average Joe. So, what's something super relatable about you?
0: Um, I was trying to think about a good answer to this, and the one that immediately <laughs> popped into my mind was I stepped in a huge amount of dog poo this morning. <laughs> and then I was like, It's a weird way to start a podcast, Um, but but I did. Yeah, oh, good. Yeah, I'm glad. Um, (laughs) I don't know. We still drive around our nine year old golf with a dent in the back. Um, That's our one car. What else? I'm a total dork. Like, and I trip over all the time. (laughs) And I like, I don't know. I'm. I think probably you'd look at my life and go, "Whoa, highly relatable."
1: (laughs) That's the best thing though, because I think when you, you know, read about, obviously I will have recorded an intro and I'm sure you guys are already sort of like, oh my God. Like (laughs) when you read about you on paper, you're like the richest woman under 40 in Australia, you know, titles that just, I was like do I have it in me to interview this woman? Like, wow. But then I met you and I was like, I love her already. (laughs) So the first segment is called Way TA, which is Mm -hmm. pretty much how you got to where you are today. Mm -hmm. And I think it always looks like an overnight success. It never is. And it always stems from way back further than I think we give ourselves credit for. Mm -hmm. So looking back at how people were as children, you can often see the the traits that come out later Mm. when you eventually find a life that you love. So tell us about young Sayan and growing up with parents who, you know, exposed you to running their own business early in life. Do you think that set you up well? Did you show an interest in running a business or where did you think you'd end up?
0: I don't, I didn't show any interest in running a business, but I think that my, like my whole family on my father's side were small business owners and I think a lot about that, just got baked into me. Mm. so I think that you know there's a lot of stuff you' not even realize you're you don't even realize you're picking up or internalizing. and so certainly it always felt very normal and almost expected that you'd start your own thing. Mm. like there was no kind of mystery to that or intimidation. it was just literally well, that's just what you do. Yeah. You end up starting <laughs> your own business. So I wasn't even aware up until on, up until quite recently that that was unusual and that there were Quite a few strong older women in my family who were business owners as well. So my great grandmother, she, uh, you know, she had two children, was a single mother in the Great Depression and then uh, built her way up from, you know, she started out um, where she somehow managed to start a little deli and then she built up from there. Then she had a, a biscuit factory <laughs> and she had a boarding house. And then eventually she became one of the top builders in Gatta. And and you know, and the secret to her success was all she said, you know, I build houses for the wives, not the husbands. So she was the one person who found that differentiator and went, nah, all these all these male builders, they're building for the husbands. I'm going to put things in that are going to make the wives want to buy these houses. And she became very successful. But you've got to imagine a woman in her seventies in heels, she was always dressed, you know, <laughs> dressed incredibly well. Um, A woman in her 70s in heels, like wandering around a building site with concrete over her shoulder and telling these, you know, these male builders what to do. So she was, you know, this powerhouse and this matriarch within the family. And that was kind of... strong women was really the norm. Mm. So, um, I grew up in an environment where my parents were and are intensely creative. So both, you know, my father's very successful photographer worked for fortune and time. And, um, and my mother was a, a fashion designer and was very successful in that. And, you know, in my household, you were always creative and my parents were super cool, So you imagine these super cool, really good looking people who are, you know, they, you know, partied with Warhol and Bowie and, you know, and like Bob Dylan and, (laughs) you know. (laughs) These super cool people who'd really lived and, you know, been in New York during that really key period when I was born where it was all super creative and interesting and arty. And they had this little girl who, you know, had a monobrow and wore really thick glasses (laughs) and wrote lists. (laughs) Like I was a list writer from way back. So they loved me, but I think they were also a little bit like, where did this kid come from? How did we make her? Yeah, (laughs) because they were super fluid and cool and... I was not. I was quite a socially awkward kid. And, uh, and as I grew up, my dad always said, you've got to find what you love doing and you've just got to, you know, just lean into that. That's the best career advice amazing. that I can give you. They're amazing. They're amazing people. And, uh, you know, I had a really good head start in that context and I, I couldn't figure out what it was I wanted to do. Yeah. I, I had no idea for a while I wanted to be a chef. I was quite good at singing and, and they put me into like doing opera lessons. <laughs> so I was stunning to be an opera singer. I didn't particularly like opera. So I was just generally like, I don't know. I, I can't
1: find the thing I'm passionate about. Yeah. Mm. That's so interesting. Mm. And so interesting that they were already so creative, but that you know, weren't necessarily like that when you were younger. Like, you, you know, that wasn't naturally like, yes, I'm just one of you. I loved, yeah, I loved drawing. I loved, you know, I loved creative pursuits. Mm. I loved cooking.
0: I loved drawing. I loved all those things. And I've never been a sort of, I'm I'm not somebody with a particularly mathematical mind. Mm. I find I need to work with, you know, co-founders and, and, and teams where that's very heavy because I'm, I'm all right after years and years of experience. I'm all right with that, but that's never where I kind of naturally sat. So it was always the creative side, but they were kind of, These effortlessly cool people, and I certainly was not that. I was, bit, I was a geek. <laughs> well, you've
1: definitely ended up as that. So well done on the transformation. <laughs> so you were a Sydney girl at school. You went to yes. Skeggs in Darlinghurst. I did. But then ended up studying Viscom, mm-hmm. which is interesting again. How did you come to that choice? So if you were kind of, you know, unsure what your thing was at school, mm-hmm. ending up choosing something so creative and design focused, and also with the name being Cyan, which is part <laughs> of CMYK, which I think it's is amazing. <laughs> Yeah. How did you come to that decision? Was that kind of a, I don't know what I'm going to do, so I'll do something that I love that's broad? Or was it a, by the time you graduated, you had figured out that that was a career path you wanted to go down? I think honestly,
0: I still didn't know. So I studied to be an opera singer throughout my my school years, and I did quite well at that. And I was in operas and stuff like that. Oh my gosh. Um, but I wasn't um, I wasn't hugely passionate about it. And I was planning on doing that, going into university to study that further. And my dad sat me down and he said, "Darling, I will support you whatever it is you decide, but I just want you to be clear that if you are not." can't eat can't sleep if I don't do this passionate about opera mm. then you shouldn't do it because mm. someone else is always going to be more passionate than you are and they're always going to you know they're always going to beat you out because they're going to be willing to do what it takes and you know you're not unless it's really like a life passion of yours and I realized yeah I'm, I'm good at it and I get a lot of positive reinforcement for doing it but I'm not actually that passionate about it um and I've been surrounded by designers and photographers uh, throughout my throughout my schooling and I I'd, I'd go for it on photo shoots and I thought oh you know this seems like something <laughs> sure. which should be more interesting and I know <laughs> I'll sort of I'll I'll give that a crack so I decided to do that hmm such a cool decision
1: making process (laughs) I think that's the really interesting thing is going back not so much to the decisions now when we're kind of adults and we know you know you have a little bit more of an awareness of who you are and what you like Mm. and what you're good at and where the intersection of all those three things is but when you're younger there's you know it's so interesting to look back and think I actually don't know how I decided that I just kind of did it and was like sure <laughs> it's a lot of pressure to put on an 18 year old so like
0: much sometimes much. I just think it's ridiculous yeah. that we I remember going through the university handbook and being like I don't know what 80 percent of these courses are or what they lead to <laughs> I literally had so little context about the world and then you're being asked to make a decision which is going to affect the rest of your life it's really it's really strange it feels it feels a bit broken to me
1: I mean it all worked out it was fine yeah. but you know yeah. i think we're luckier in this day and age too where the expectation that it will be your forever choice isn't as high as it might have been you know a decade ago or a couple of decades ago for us it's kind of like sure you figure something out but then you'll probably change so yes. it's not you know the pressure isn't a lifetime choice mm. but I'm, it still feels like way at the time yes. so then you went to Billy Blue College of Design Mm -hmm. for a year and then Swinburne so is that Mm -hmm. when you moved to Melbourne for uni
0: no so I actually did Swinburne through Billy Blue so they had a partnership at that time and I just did it just did it through them which was great Billy Blue was um at that time it was all practicing designers. So I actually started out doing a design degree at UNSW and it was so broad. It was just design generally. And I remember speaking to um, some designers that that my parents knew and they said, you're going to need to do a whole other thing after this because you're just going to get out with no, you know, no, specific no job skills. Kind of training. Yeah, yeah you'll have great sort of arbitrary kind of thinking <laughs> skills. And I'm sure it was very useful, Yeah, you know, a lot, you know, going forward, but it was just too broad. So I drilled down um, into something where I was being taught by actual graphic, actual working graphic designers, which was great. Got a job straight out and, um, and started working. I mean, I only had one job for three months before I I know. set out on my <laughs> own.
1: So. That was the coolest thing. I read that. I was like, so, I I think it's interesting always looking at people who do have a job before they make the jump. you know, It's usually a little bit longer than three months. I I was like, wow, that was a a quick job. I was a terrible
0: employee, I'm sure. (laughs) They were so patient with me. I was terrible.
1: (laughs) Was there any consideration at the time of choosing to do design as a degree to do business? Why why didn't you consider doing a business degree? I still didn't know what
0: I wanted to do. I still, if... It's funny because I, you know,
1: I started freelancing while I was
0: studying, and then I kept freelancing while I had my job, as as a designer. And I started getting some fairly good clients, but it never entered my mind to think, oh, I'm starting a business. I didn't consider it in those terms. And if you'd said to me, oh, are you going to run businesses? I'd go, no, I'm just doing design for these clients. Mm. It's um, yeah, I just never entered my mind honestly throughout my career I've just generally followed the things that I've been interested in and considered it an act of making or creating Mm. as opposed to starting a business and I think that's really freed me up a lot I think there's certain ways of thinking which are just quite intimidating and and I've and I've purposely avoided them in order to free myself up to just try stuff over time.
1: Totally. I love that so much. I think that's one thing I try and emphasise the most is that a lot of stories happen that way because you don't kind of scare yourself out of it before you even begin it's the Mm. people who are like I'm just going to focus on the immediate next step and have it's almost like you want to dream big but not so big that it scares you off starting at all you Mm. kind of want to go okay that's my big dream over there but my little dream is I just want to have one client and then two clients Mm. you know you're not always thinking about that I want to have a multi-million dollar business and if you did start out that way you might not even you just think it was so impossible that you you don't get started yeah you
0: can't (laughs) the, the the variety and breadth of steps and challenges you going to need to overcome are so intimidating that you just won't even won't even start it so instead what I found works well for me over time is to really broadly visualize oh this is what it could look like wouldn't that be fun this would be amazing but right now all we're doing is trying to get from here to here which sometimes the people that work with me find that a little bit stressful because they'll be like, "What <laughs> yeah. does the next five years look like?"
1: And I'm like, yeah, "I don't know. I don't know.
0: It's going to be fun
1: finding out." Hey, <laughs> yeah. that was one of the most liberating things leaving corporate was leaving the five ten year plan and just mm. going, "I've got a five minute plan, maybe a five hour plan, yes, possibly five days at max." But you just roll with it, and I think changing that. I mean, there's downsides to that as well. There have been lots of disasters, <laughs> but I think it's really freeing to just let mm. yourself go with what happens and what unravels when you just focus on stuff that you really enjoy. Yes. And then mm. big things can end up coming out of it that you never planned for. I think that's super exciting. It is. Mm. So the very first business was, you know, within your first year out, out from uni. Yes. <laughs> called Good Creative, which you founded with your husband, Collis. yes. Well, actually, that was my second business. I also started. I mean, is this the jewelry business? Yes. Is that the first one? Yeah. So start yeah. from the very,
0: very beginning of the. business Okay. Journey. So <laughs> when I was about nineteen, I decided I was going to start a jewelry business, which was just silly. Like I, <laughs> I it wasn't silly. I learned a lot, but looking back, I'm like, you really can't even call that a business. Funnily enough, I called it Tiger Tiger. So tigers have been Ooh. a real theme. I don't know why. I'm a Leo. Is that a tiger top? Is that a t- it's a tiger you know, top. Oh, as well. that is so cute. <laughs> I like tigers and. and you know anyway um I don't know why it's just a thing We all have um yeah it's not the weirdest I've heard yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um yeah so I I decided that I wanted to sell jewelry and literally just started by going all right I'm going to make some stuff and I'm going to sell it at a market stall and try and sell it at some shops and and you know it was like it was a bit of a disaster. It was okay. but Yeah, you know, I, a bit of fun. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, every time you do these things, you learn. Like the thing which always worries me is when people go, one day I'm going to quit my job and start the business. But they don't do anything you know anything on the way Mm. and I think you know I've given myself the opportunity to learn by failing in a whole bunch of ways which were not kind of bet the farm type of ways over the years and I think now I've gotten a lot better at starting businesses because between the ones that I've started you know outside Envato and the ones I've started inside Envato I've done this probably
1: 12-15 times. (laughs) You You are a serial entrepreneur now. Yeah I've (laughs) failed a bunch (laughs) (laughs) so how did you progress from the jewelry business to then the creative agency so I think that um after I then
0: worked in a design agency for three months and they were absolutely incredible um you know incredibly good at what they do the found a founding couple Uh, how design and um, and just were really really good to me over those three months and I think realized that I wasn't that well suited to pouring through annual reports looking for you know (laughs) kerning and widows Um, that was not what resonated with me but sort of they tried to give me opportunities to sort of interact with clients which I found really interesting and to um, and to do you know things like kind of prop buying for shoots and stuff like that just stuff which allowed me to make decisions and kind of Really think and use use the stuff that I think uh, use my mind in ways that I think it works well. Even then, after about three three um, three um months, I kind of went to them and said, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I so appreciate this, but I don't think it's for me. And they very kindly said, oh, okay, I'm sure in their mind they were like, oh, phew, this girl was a bit of a <laughs> We've trained her up and now she's going. Exactly. I she don't even think I was trained up. Like, I look back and I think, oh, these lovely people. I sent them chocolate not so long ago. Oh. I was like, thank you so much <laughs> for putting up with me all those years ago. Um... But uh, I, I soon after I'd taken on all these freelance clients during that period, and we were just getting more and more of them and uh, and Collis, in the meantime was getting you know all these web design clients, and we thought, well let's let's combine forces because most of these clients need graphic and web together. and uh, And we started a little, very little kind of business called good creative. and uh, and the whole idea behind that was that you know we would spend. Twenty percent of our time on charitable projects, and the rest of the the rest of our clients would kind of you know pay a little bit more, even though they weren't paying much, but pay a little bit more in <laughs> order to facilitate us to do that not for profit work. Yeah. So
1: um, and it's great. We did it for a few years, and it paid paid to get Envato started. Mm. That is so cool. And another thing I think this highlights again, which is one of my favourite things to emphasise, is that I think we all feel this pressure that we've got to find our thing and we've got to find Mm. it straight away. But everyone has about... 10 to 15 stepping stones of different either jobs or businesses or positions or countries they live in or whatever it is. And that all leads you to figuring out, you know, you didn't, Invato wasn't the first thing. No. And you might not have even thought it was the the thing when you first fall into it. We thought it was going to be a little side project that would pay for us to
0: travel. (laughs) That's what we thought it was going to be. Well, it
1: definitely got bigger (laughs) than that. So that again was, that was your third business that you'd founded in this series Mm. around 2006. You were 26 years old which Mm -hmm. just blows my mind and it came about like many amazing businesses from a gap that you two were frustrated Mm. at as freelancers Mm. is that Mm. right so at the way that would if you were you know creating creative assets you would get as a designer kind of 10% and then the companies that you were working through would get like 90% was it is that how it worked and then you sort of wanted to mm -hmm. bring it back closer to the actual creatives and create a platform that you had no competitors in the market really at the time
0: no it was a very interesting thing um we've had a very unusual run with Invato. so effectively it was born from two different things the first thing was we were selling stock photography ourselves it's like a little side supplemental income and generally the photographers would make about 10% of each sale now as the daughter of a photographer <laughs> and you know surrounded by creatives the, my whole life I I sort of knew that micro stock Was you know it was new at the time it was nascent at the time but I felt like well this is like this is totally going to take over but it is fun the structure is fundamentally unfair right now so I think in you know in my mind in Collis's mind we thought well we can create a competitor where the majority of the um, the the, each sale goes towards the person who created it as opposed Mm -hmm. to the other way around so. We felt like there was a need from that point of view. The other thing was that, you know, as designers, we were making all sorts of things and wanted to buy all sorts of things that as stock, which weren't available. So, um, so you know, at the beginning, so back in the day, it was Flash. Um, if you wanted to make uh, something that moved on a website, you would use Flash. People don't anymore, but at the time oh you God, did... Flash, and you had to download the Flash
1: Player. Back in the day, <laughs> yeah.
0: Sometimes people are like, what's Flash? And I'm yeah. like, wow, it's <laughs> a big deal. Um, but I guess it was a big deal if you're in that space. But, um, but we were making all these things for clients, and we were thinking, wow, so many other people could use this, use this as stock, like edit it, and use it like other professionals, other designers and developers, but there's just no way. They just can't get it. So we thought, well, let's make a little... A little marketplace as a side project, um, and uh, and then and then people people including us can sell their stuff and everyone can buy it. And then we wanted to do some traveling as well, and we thought maybe it'll make just enough money for you know a little bit of supplemental cash, a la four hour work week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: and then, nice. and then we'll be set. <laughs> yeah. Was it called Flashed In? It was start? called Flash Den. or oh, Flash Den. So that that
0: shows you how far my skill in branding has come. Can you imagine? <laughs> like it sounded
1: like I'd started a porno site. Yeah. Like seriously, it <laughs> really did. And you how know. did how did Inbato, What does it mean? How did that name come about? <laughs> so it's <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's like the most boring story ever. So we started out calling it Eden. I don't know why we just, we thought Eden, you know, it's a, it's a Eden creative communities. It's a place where everyone comes together. Like, you know, we thought it just sounded nice. And then it turns out it's absolutely impossible to trademark something like Eden, like everybody and their brothers used it. (laughs) So literally we went to brand bucket and went, where can we find, you know, like what can we find, which sounds like a great brand that, um, that isn't trademarked in any way and we can get the URL. and, And so that's what we did. Was it a word before? Or is it just literally? No, no. Vato means like bro in Spanish, (laughs) I think. Um, Nice like but um but that's basically it so it was literally just you know came out of necessity and then we thought it sounded quite nice and then you oh know so God. it's not it's not an elegant you know you want this really elegant origin story of yeah like, and then <laughs> inspiration awesome. struck and it's like ah oh, we went through brand bucket
1: <laughs> I love that even more and it kind of even more highlights the the need for something like Invato when you just like creatively need some assets <laughs> to kind of help you align. I know. <laughs> like to put it into perspective now, so Invato, Nick in his creative agency uses Invato for everything for like music, for videos, for like movable assets, for templates, for everything. Like you go there for everything and it's the most amazing resource and now you've gone into theme forest and audio jungle like there's sounds there's templates for web there's wordpress there's everything it is so extensive and amazing and I cannot believe it started in your parents garage so <laughs> tell I think I feel like a lot of people if you're in the industry everyone's heard of Invato. but at the very beginning I don't think that's the part that they've heard much about so can mm. you tell us how it went from nothing to something because that's my favorite part.
0: So I think we decided we were going to do this, you know, we thought, oh, well, we'll build this thing. And we thought, oh, okay, we think it'll probably, you know, take a few weeks and cost a few thousand dollars and it won't be a big deal. And um, Collis had worked with this great developer um, who randomly, we put a job ad up saying we need, a, we need a freelance developer and this guy randomly wrote and put his hand up and just said, pick me with nothing else. <laughs> cool and you were like i like, okay. worked with this guy so <laughs> um so we picked him and he was absolutely absolutely incredible like you know really incredibly talented and was like you know said we should we should run on Ruby on Rails which was an incredible decision even though Ruby on Rails was so new it all worked you know it's just there's been so many things along the way which just went in our favor having said that we were Totally unprepared for what a big project it would be. And we did try, if we had to build it again, like if I had to do it again, I would say like build lean. We didn't do that. We mm. built it with every bell and whistle that we thought we needed, half of which we didn't need. And we ended up needing to, you know, pull out later oh. anyway, because it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't yeah. well thought out. Yeah. Um, but we spent five months working on it. And what we did was um, we worked on it in the evenings and on the weekends. And during the day, we during weekdays we took freelance client work to try and pay the bills, and um, and by the end of it, even then our credit cards were maxed out. We were living in my parents' basement, working. They were feeding us, <laughs> <laughs> taking video. Yeah, exactly. We just maxed out. We'd borrowed money from Collis's parents, and yeah, we. But but this thing was built. This thing was built. We put it live, and we waited. And the good thing about it was that we dug ourselves such a hole. And you imagine, you know, oh yeah, this classic startup story out of, you know, out of the parents garage you've got to imagine that at that time startups weren't really a thing Mm -hmm. and I had told everyone that I was going to start a thing called flash den and I was living in my parents' basement so (laughs) really I wasn't like it wasn't like aspirational or like at the time I was like wow we really got to work hard otherwise we're the people who went bankrupt in my parents' basement (laughs) in our our flash den yeah exactly exactly (laughs) because we were doing flash den um So, uh, yeah, we, uh, we decided to just push hard and, and we really, really, really hustled and we did all the things that now, if you tell people to do it, they'll go, oh, but doesn't everyone do that? Um, like all these kind of, you know, really basic kind of growth hacks, like go on forums and go, by the way, have you been to my thing? You should check out my thing.
1: Well, <laughs> like, so you were like the first. To yeah. We do yeah, were doing that
0: stuff when it was actually like effective and, and had some cut through. And very slowly, um, you know, word, we started to engage people, and mm-hmm. which was interesting because we had a double problem. We had firstly we had to get sellers on, so we had to convince them there was a reason to put their stuff online,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the other thing we had to do was convince customers that fl- that stock stock flash was a thing that they actually needed. Mm. because nobody used it at that point Mm. so it was something that you know something that you had to have like an educational process so we ended up giving a lot of it away for free and then paying the sellers anyway And then that was the way we started to get cut through because the sellers saw some kind of some cash coming in. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to make more. And the new people that we were trying to expose to sort of this as a useful concept that would help their work life, they were able to sort of try it out for free and go, oh, this actually does make my work easier. Great. (laughs) I'll invest in it next time. So that's the thing that kind of that, that got us some cut through. But even then, it was a couple of years without taking a, you know, a salary and doing freelance work before we really kind of, you know, felt like we were starting to get some growth. Oh, wow.
1: Mm. Oh, my gosh. And, again, it's those four years that you don't hear about as much, you know. It's not in as much in the news and all the things that have happened now. You know, it's the our rich list. It's all the highlights. But mm. you had to go through the stuff. You had to go through those years of not taking wages and just being like, oh, my God, where are my customers, you know. Yeah. And, and but what a, what a journey. <laughs> it was lots of fun, though. Like, yeah. I think
0: that there are these goals. Golden periods of time and you look back on it and you go, oh, My goodness, we got a lot done, we had a really good time. Yeah. You know, it's it, it it's great. It's been it's been an amazing story, and we've been very like there've been a lot of things that have gone in our favour, you know, lack of lack of competitors coming after us for some unknown reason. <laughs> um, I still don't understand how nobody like we really kept our heads down mm. and worked for a long time, and I don't think anybody realized how big it was getting. And so we were first to market in a whole bunch of different spaces. And once you're first to market, very, very difficult to unseat you from that position. So yeah, a lot of things have gone right as well. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm sure that
1: aligned with hard work and dedication at the same time because Mm -hmm. luck only gets you so far. (laughs) But, you know, to explain kind of the level of growth we're talking about, you know, you hear about some startup stories that become very successful. But this is like 7 million members, a team of 300, nearly $100 million of turnover, like just Figures you can't even get your head around, you know, from your parents' garage. How – and I know it's happened, you know, slowly. It hasn't all been an overnight success and there's been a lot of hard work and a a lot of having to educate people about – because it's new, you know, Mm. it's foreign to people why they needed stock assets at all. Um, How – does it feel you know I was sitting in the um, entrance where there's an awards wall just covered with you know Telstra Business Women's Awards and the EY Entrepreneur of the Year and there's so much recognition because the journey has been so extremely positive and Mm. impactful like you've just changed the game and are are now a tech coin like it's just amazing (laughs) no I mean (laughs) I'm just so inspired because the growth isn't just you know from zero to half a million or a million which is still a good small Mm. business it's like a hundred million dollars. It's a globally recognised startup. I think the Australian, the percentage of Australian users is like four percent. Mm. So you haven't just hit this market; you've dominated globally. But how have you kind of emotionally shifted to that? Like, how does that even feel when you realise you've built this tech giant? You know what I mean? I was, um, you were a graphic designer, um, and then now you're like a multi-millionaire tech person that everyone <laughs> knows. My arms are flailing everywhere. I'm just like. <laughs> you understand you know like I'm sure sometimes it washes over you and you, you can you're just like I'm just me but
0: yeah. sometimes when
1: it hits you you know what does that feel like it's weird to process like
0: when it comes down to it I'm you know like oh, it sounds really cheesy but I'm still I'm still the same person yeah and I'm I'm actually quite introverted I'm an introvert who presents as an extrovert <laughs> I um, identify
1: with that do you yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah um so I you know it's I don't know, I, I can't internalise it too much. Mm. The thing which has made the most sense for me, and I know that everyone talks about luck and how you shouldn't think about luck too much, but I do think there's a big mm. there's a big thing around luck and around privilege and about everything else. And the only way that I can think about it, which I think is helpful to my psyche and my sense of self, is to go, you know, that that quote, you know, to those that much is given, much is expected. Is to go, I am the person, you know, like a million people start startups and they're incredibly intelligent, incredibly driven and the market just isn't with them or a big competitor comes or or for whatever reason, you know, or they've got a co-founder that goes nuts or whatever it might be, things don't go the way that that they that they hoped for um for even though they might have done everything right and yes we've done everything right but everything's also really gone in our favor so in my mind I've got to consider it as I'm the one person I won that lottery so therefore I've got to try and do I've got to be appreciative of it I've got to be A bit detached from it, Mm. and I've got to um,
1: I've got to ensure that I do my absolute best to do good stuff with it. And I think you are doing that absolutely, (laughs) and with everything that's come since, which I really do, I'm really really excited about, and I can't wait to share. But just quickly, um, finishing off the Avato piece, which I could talk to you about for hours. Oh my god, I'm so excited! (laughs) 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 But you know, it's has it you haven't taken venture capital it's still owned by you your mm-hmm. husband your brother-in-law and a friend mm-hmm. and that in itself is like an incredible incredible feat but along the way you know how have you kind of upskilled and learned how to recruit and learned to mm-hmm. build out your team to cope with that scale up because i think that's mm-hmm. probably one of the things that's okay you start a business you get an idea that's amazing it gets up and running mm-hmm. but then there's a paralysis somewhere in the middle where to get to the next stage i need lots of people Mm. I need lots more time Mm -hmm. and I need to learn a lot of stuff along the way Mm. to anyone who's in a growth journey you Mm. know how did you upskill and how did you figure out how to manage funding and financing and Mm -hmm. the scale up and all that stuff because it sounds so overwhelming
0: so I think that a
1: really key point for me was figuring out
0: where I'm really strong Mm. and where I'm really weak Mm. and I think that um that that's a healthy Thing to do, And for a long time, I didn't want to acknowledge where I was really weak because I was worried about what that meant. Um, and I think, you know, when you're grappling with imposter syndrome and you're young and you're managing all these people and you want to feel like, you know, you want them to feel like you've got everything figured out and you're in control. It's very challenging. But one of the most useful things that I did was to really clearly analyze myself and ask the people around me that I trusted, where am I strong? And where am I? Just crap. <laughs> um, and I think that oftentimes we tend to hire people who are like us because we we recognise excellence in that area, mm. and we resonate with those people because they have the same interests as we do. Mm. So I have come to the conclusion that I need to work with I need to work with people who will um, will fill my blank spots. As opposed to you know us all being you know perfectly aligned and everyone good at the same things, so that's been really, really helpful. Um, I think that um, that I've had to get a good sense of what leadership looks like for me because for a long time I was like you know I was surrounded by I'd be looking at these male tech leaders and I'll be like I'd be like I'm not like them, I'm nothing <laughs> like them. Um, I don't know how to be like that, so I had to also figure out how I led. And I think I've found it really helpful to follow my interests. So, you know, spending time reading, spending time thinking, um, and, but letting my interests guide me. I've never had much success going, now I'm going to sit down and I'm going to learn this thing whether I like it or not. But when I, when I you know, consume a lot of things which fascinate me, I find it informs my gut it's like you know, like they say that your gut are all these, you know, in, you know, really, really short micro decisions. So I take the tack of, I take time and I inform myself in the broadest way that I can, and it all informs these gut decisions that I'm making all the time, and that's worked really well for me. I think also, yeah, if you, if you analyze your weaknesses as well, you you become clearer on what you don't know, mm. and therefore, you know, you sort of you you make sure that you find out. So I think self-awareness has been really key for me. Yeah. Mm. Wow.
1: And I do think it's alarming how far along you can get in your career and in your life without being aware of anything about yourself. You know, mm. I think there are some pathways that you get on. And I was like, this is a corporate where I wasn't necessarily unhappy, but I really didn't know what I liked, what mm-hmm. I enjoyed, didn't even know if I was happy or not, yes. which is kind of a really scary thought that so many of us can coast along like that and not actually know what we're interested in, let alone mm. go and pursue it. So mm. it's, It's interesting that people do have the most success... I think, as a mass generalisation, but the most successful when they go inwards and really figure out Mm. what it is that they like and invest time in that because you don't Mm. necessarily realise it automatically. No. You do have to spend some time reading and reflecting and thinking, like, am I enjoying this? What am Mm. I good at asking other people? It's like a research evidence-gathering kind of exercise. It's confronting. It is, yeah. yeah. Mm.
0: And this is going to sound really weird, but um, (laughs) but I think also (laughs) seeing... I've noticed a theme with people who I feel like go out and do really incredible things and just experience life to the fullest Mm. which I think you know when it comes down to it you know it relates to that it's about going you know well how am I going to find my bliss like in my mind I think you know maybe life's about two things you know having as many experiences as possible in the world like you know pushing myself as far as I can go seeing what's out there and hopefully leaving the world in just a time any bit of a better place I think if, if you're doing those two things then hopefully you know you're having a good life and I think I've been close well I've I've had a an, an experience where I where I you know came where I had to look at my mortality like I, I I you know got very very ill at one point and that I think and you know seeing others around me pass away earlier than they should have gave me a real immediate sense of life can be short. You Mm -hmm. don't know what's coming. You've got to make sure you, you know, you find the things that make you happy and grab onto them and do the things. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed a theme. I've noticed that quite a few people who I'll, I'll go, boy, you are living, you're living to the max. You're just getting it done. Those people have seen, have seen death and the kind of the uncertainty of life in a way that I think,
1: you know, not everyone does. And it sparks that kind of need to make the most of... I think so. ...everything, yeah. I agree, mm. I agree. So, I look, you know, looking back at the story, you can see that Invato just grew exponentially and then took up such a big chunk of time mm. of just burrowing down. But in 2018, you could come up for air mm. <laughs> and start a new project, which yeah. uh, it seems like, you know, uh, giving back to society, recognizing how much you appreciate your position and your privilege and and stuff has been a really big part of, even Invato gives, I think 1% goes to charity. Ah, 2%. 2%, Yeah. 2% and then 5% goes back to the staff, Mm -hmm. which is incredible. But now you have a fully blown social enterprise on top of that. And since then, another business as well. So, Firstly, before we get into what the businesses are, how do you recognise when it's time for a new chapter or when you might have capacity? Because I imagine you're incredibly, you are incredibly—you were an incredibly busy woman before <laughs> you decided, I'm going to start a new business in an industry I have nothing, no background or experience in. Let's make chocolate. <laughs> Let's make it a social enterprise. You know, how did you notice in yourself that it was time for a new project because I think that's another thing you know my, I do a quote of the day every day and my quote yeah. today was if you feel like you've peaked find another mountain oh that's nice yeah. and I think it's mm-hmm. hard sometimes to recognize because you're sort of still climbing an, an mm. old one but you know you're feeling a bit more comfortable in it and, you know it's hard to know it's when very easy ready. to be on the treadmill <laughs> Yeah, Like you can make yourself incredibly busy. So in
0: this case, I can't actually take exact credit for it. I didn't have the self-awareness at first to go, oh, no, I think I need to do something new. So I'd been doing Invato for, I don't know how long, 12 years, and, and it'd been great, but it had evolved to the point where I think when you're at a company of, um, you know, we're actually almost 600 employees now, so we've grown a bit. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's a very out-of-date statistic. No, then. not at all. <laughs> um, but you know, like a, when when you're sort of in an organisation of that size and, and trying to run an organisation of that size, you're thinking about very different things than you might be thinking about in a startup. And I'm I'm very grateful that I got the opportunity to do that and learn about that and get better at that. But I think that I... I wasn't aware that it was not making me genuinely excited. Mm. You know, the work that I was doing was not genuinely exciting to me anymore. It was useful and I was passionate about the outcomes, but I didn't, I didn't feel like, oh, my goodness, you get in flow of it and you go, I just love this. And then I got this eye injury. Ah, um, oh, this is the. Infection. This is the eye, This is yeah. the. This and is the... the bacterial eye <laughs> ulcer. Yes! Wow,
1: you've of really. 2016. You've... Yes, you've done <laughs> Yes,
0: <laughs> done your research. Um, yeah, so I was. Um, it was actually the last night. I was the Telstra Businesswoman of the Year for Victoria, and on the last night before they do the new awards they kind of get you to speak to the, the new finalists who are coming in. And during this, I'm going, my oh, eyes really hurting me. It hurts so much. And so I, as soon as I got off the stage, I kind of said, oh, thank you so much. I've got to go. <laughs> to the <And> hospital. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I didn't. I, oh, I, I went home and I said, my eye really hurts. And I went to bed. And the following morning, I woke up and my husband looked at me, Collis. he looked at me <sighs> and he went, I'm taking you to hospital. Oh, um, Anyway, it turns out I had a very bad bacterial ulcer on my cornea and they said you might lose your eye. And um, and you've got to kind of go into uh, – this sort of ulcer is made worse by light okay. so um, and you have to have eye drops every hour, 24 hours a day. So at first I was in hospital but then they sent me home once the immediate danger was passed. But imagine you're going full pelt, you're working really hard, you're not sort of really thinking about anything, you've got two tiny kids – and suddenly you're in a dark room, you're severely sleep deprived, you're having one of those like life is short whoa, type of times. And uh, and and yeah, and it gave me some time to think. So in hindsight, I always think everything happens for a reason. That's and you my know, my, quote. yeah, my eyes fine. <laughs> it all worked out. <laughs> um, and now I've got 2020 vision to boot. So it was, you know, it's a good outcome. But, um, but during that time, I thought about it. And I thought, well, what, you know, what do I want to do next? And I realized that I, I knew I wanted to do a social enterprise. I thought, you know, I one of the things I was always passionate about and am passionate about with, with Vato was the good things we are able to do by virtue of this business existing, mm-hmm. um, both for our community of sellers and for our staff and for, you know, our charitable partners, you know, all the things. And I thought, well, the, if you imagine, if you believe that business should be, you know, a force for good, which is B Corp's term, but I think it's very, very apt then social enterprise is the next logical conclusion. So I knew I wanted to do that. And I came out the other side of that. And I thought, I'm just going to, you know, gently look around for an idea. So I kind of, um, I, I just tried to kind of explore and, and see what see what came of it. And what kept on coming back, weirdly, was chocolate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that works. <laughs> and so, uh, hey, Tiger, the range is Absolutely amazing! Oh, oh my god, you cheap. have to try. Everyone, go and try the <laughs> strawberry hazelnut yeah. waffle flavor. It is amazing, and yeah, the the business benefits cocoa farming communities in West Africa mm-hmm. through its operation, and that's where sixty percent of the world's cocoa is grown. Um, and I don't think you're taking a wage. Is that right? No, I don't take a salary from hay Tiger, but the and rest of the team might does. Yeah, which is, uh, but if mm. still, I think it's absolutely mm. amazing, and the aim is to donate, I think, twenty five thousand dollars a year towards these farms. So we're at 80000 now, $80,000 oh, per year, which is great. $80,000 mm. per year. Mm. Oh, so yeah, that is incredible. Oh. But on top of that, you can almost feel that your creative juices are flowing again, that you're being able to flex that muscle of like the colours and the brands and even the shape of the moulds <laughs> of the chocolate, you know, everything feels alive and exciting. And oh, now, you. especially meeting you now, I can see that, you know, 12 years into a heavy, heavy tech business, mm. it's become... Uh, you know, uh, like a platform for everyone else's creativity that this is your outlet now for like the colour and light and, you know, and the brand voice and everything is just beautiful.
0: I I, I love Hey Tiger. So Hey Tiger is very personal (laughs) to me and um, and before we launched it, I was just terrified because I thought this has (laughs) such a strong perspective. Like the brand is so kind of strong and colourful and the flavours are out there and I thought hopefully this will land and resonate with people. Otherwise people will just go, what was she smoking? <laughs> um, but luckily it, it has resonated with people, which is which is great. So I wanted to, you know, Emily Weiss from Glossier said, I want to create a brand that you want to wear on your T-shirt. Yes. And that was the kind of the goal. So, the our, you know, the dual goal was um, was to create that brand and to create the best chocolate in Australia. And I think, you know, the team... You're doing and really I work job. very, very,
1: very hard to, try, to sort of to make that come to life. And, and I'm... I've seen it in the weirdest places as well. Like if people are really <laughs> embracing the message and the fact like it, the fact that it's chocolate is amazing, but <laughs> the message is really strong. It's at the forefront of everything as well. Like it's kind of like we've got this thing because we're supporting what science doing and it's chocolate, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. So I walked into a homeware store in, I think, oh, where was I? In Berry in Country New South Wales. <laughs> and there was no other foodstuffs anywhere and then just this huge chocolate display in the middle of these door handles and stuff like what is happening here it was amazing
0: (laughs) that's lovely so yeah we're getting um so our primary sort of actually you know what we're getting closer to 50 50 so at first we just focused on online retail Mm -hmm. because that's what i understand so yes. I understand online retail in a way in a way that I've never you know understood anything, <laughs> like anything else <laughs> life yeah yeah life exactly <laughs> but uh, I you know so so at first we were kind of you know it was it was tough because we're trying to engage people in buying what is essentially an impulse purchase online mm-hmm. so um, you know like usually people pick up chocolate just you know the, there's a reason why they put it at the checkout because it's an impulse oh I'll just grab it purchase yeah. so. We've we've actually done a really good job of it, but it's taken us some time to figure out how to engage people with the brand online. So online retail is still our largest channel, but not by much. Wholesale's really sort of really really picking up, so that's exciting.
1: Congratulations! Mm. And then it didn't take you long to have another business on the go, and <laughs> mind you, within Invato there are lots of different sub businesses as well. So yeah. you have like fifty five million businesses now. <laughs> <laughs> But the 2019 project is Milkshake, which yes. I was very, very lucky to shoot a video for, which I'm so excited oh, we for were when lucky it comes it. out. Yeah. So tell us about Milkshake. Um, So I think, so
0: while I was building up Hey Tiger, you know, we made really strong decisions around kind of the brand, things like the unboxing, the visuals of it. And the idea was that I wanted it to be something that people couldn't help but share, mm-hmm. couldn't help but share online. And you know, luckily that sort of, that ended up being the case. And really a lot of our growth and most of our traffic came via Instagram, Mm. you know, and you'd have these incredible spikes when honestly someone like you would post, you know, a story (laughs) and suddenly you'd go. Stuffing my face. (laughs) (laughs) No, but people, you know, like the, the sort of the influence that you carry kind of blew my mind. I, I hadn't kind of, I hadn't, gotten that context before and you'd suddenly go wow you know one of these one of these people just you know one of these influencers just kind of posted and we've got you know quadruple the revenue for the day Mm. just because they said this is yummy you should try it
1: it's cool isn't it it's It's crazy but it's It's fascinating
0: and in tandem I remember listening to this podcast and there was you know a filmmaker he was the filmmaker who did um who did minimalism and, which is a really, really great documentary on Netflix. But he was saying, oh, you know, like basically these content producers on Instagram, It was like, well, you know, all they are is pretty. And I thought after watching these influencers for a year, I was like, you have no idea what you are talking about. It is, you know, incredible communication, beautiful photography, art direction, styling kind of, you know, I mean, just it is so complex and And so kind of highly skilled what people who really engage with an audience via Instagram are doing, and to think that it has anything to do like I mean that might be a tiny sort of you know a tiny asset in the toolkit at times, but you know like it just it it blew my mind that the that these people who were kind of um influencing online had such kind of, you know, that it was so kind of disregarded, really. And, um, and at the same time, you know, in Varto, we, we, we had this functionality in-house to do a kind of a site builder and a site builder that you could build via your phone. And I remember chatting to Collis and we were talking about sort of, you know, we were talking about these two things and how you've got these incredible entrepreneurs, but oftentimes, like, they work on their phone all day long. So, you know, (laughs) generally working on their phone all day long and there was no website builder that served them. There was no, you know, on your phone, easily editable website builder. So we sort of, we basically just asked around. Asked people around, asked around was like, and, and, you know, asking these women, do you generally, you know, have you updated your website recently? And the answer was always, oh no, it's impossible to do on my phone. I don't even remember what the password is. I'm on Instagram all the time. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, messaging, I'm doing all that stuff. I'm running my business from there. And there are these, you know, like huge businesses. And so we thought, well, what if we made something, which was a website builder, which, you know, worked via Instagram, but was really simple. Really simple, came through your link in bio, um, and you could communicate, you could edit really effectively, and it would be fun. And so, would beautiful. You...
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> All the templates thank are you. amazing. Oh, thanks.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, so the idea was is that you could, you know, spend 10 minutes inputting what you wanted to communicate, and then you can kind of change. change the theme however you want to, which, again, is unusual. Generally, you have to rebuild from scratch with other web builders. So we were trying to make something experience-first, which would kind of – which would resonate with women who were phone native. So, yeah.
1: Wow. Hmm. And it's going really well so far. (laughs) Amazing. Oh, congratulations. It's so exciting. Just do you find now that, you know, rolling out new businesses is a lot easier now that you're kind of like familiar with the process of there's a gap, I'm going to fill it, and you've got kind of the assets and do you know what I mean or do you still go through that?
0: I think that that I've become better at – being able to spot a gap yes. and and being able to kind of um look at what the metrics for success are going to be and go okay can we can we do that or not i would also argue that you know because occasionally i've got people going how are you doing this i'm also really highly resourced in terms of the people around me so you know you go oh yeah you know i'm the face of all these things great there are a huge amount of incredibly talented people that I get to work with every day. Mm. Like I was watching the um, the Game of Thrones documentary <laughs> the other day and there was the director of, of like some of the pivotal shows like The Red Wedding and, you know, a few oh, others. Yeah. And he's this deeply eccentric guy. But at one point he said, I'm very, very lucky that I get to work with these people I'm I'm a conductor of fine musicians. All I do is wave my arms around. And I thought that is the most apt. That 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 <laughs> is actually what I do. You're I'm waving my arms around. <laughs> no, with with Full this. of Chocolate. Yeah.
1: <laughs> chocolate for the people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I'm surrounded by incredibly talented people. Yeah. You know, like in yeah. all seriousness. So it, it makes it a lot easier to get things done when you've kind of, you know, you've got incredible people around you and you understand how to kind of um, take them on that journey sounds super cheesy, but kind of show them a vision <laughs> of what to. of what it is that you're going for. I've yeah. become I've become very good. Two things I'm not good at a lot of things. Two things I'm really good at is finding amazing people mm-hmm. and getting them to come on
1: board my my boat. <laughs> <laughs> because there's chocolate on it. That's yeah, right. yeah, my chocolate boat. <laughs> yeah. So I've done what I always do and I talk way too long about the journey and I haven't gone to the second section yet, but <laughs> it's because the journey is always so interesting. So the next segment is called an ATA, which is pretty much all of the things that have gotten in the way of your joy along yes. the way. And usually I kind of go through a list and talk about the things that I think are going to come up. But I thought today I would just see what happened, what comes out, what have been some of your biggest pain points along the way
0: um i think a lot of my big pain points have been me slowing myself down in a variety of ways Mm -hmm. so you know i um i've been trying very hard for a little while now to just calm down
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm so bad at it (laughs)
0: like i've just been trying to chill out a little bit because i can kind of get a little bit you know Fight or flight, adrenals going overboard, like can't slow down, checking my phone every five seconds. And that's not actually good for me. I found, you know, I'm a big believer in input and output. And there's, you know, it's so easy to be 100% input all the time. Like, okay, I'm going to listen to this podcast on the way to work. And then when I get there, I'm going to do these millions of things at once. And I'm going to multitask and I'm always going to be on top of my email and everything else. And then I'm going to get home. And on the way home, I'm going to call all these people I needed to call. I am consistently about ten phone calls and twenty emails behind, mm. easily. Mm. And I and and I and so it's you know it's very easy to feel like everything. And admittedly, I do a lot as well. And I've got two. Little I was kids. about to say you're a very busy
1: woman. fair yeah. enough. <laughs> and I've got two little
0: kids, and I try and be an active present parent, so I'm trying to do a lot. But actually, I find if you don't give yourself any time just to be still, there's no room for output. So. Now I try very hard to do that, but it is a a constant work in progress. It's something I constantly need to concentrate on, pull myself back. I think I I want everyone to like me. That's very, very, very important to me, for better or for worse. So I think that's something that I also at times has not worked in my best interests overall. So I think there's all these things along the way that I look at and go, oh, no, actually this... Behavior yeah. even though it might have payoffs, is not actually serving yeah. me yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. exactly do you find that I, I feel like particularly in this day and age where we 're in a fast paced tech mm-hmm. tech focused world mm-hmm. we have lives that are facilitated to go faster than I think Mm -hmm. our bodies have adapted to. Mm. And then on top of that, there's all this productivity pressure on us, like the treadmill you were talking about before, that you can't sit still for a second because there'll be a competitor, you'll be Mm. irrelevant, or I don't know what what we think will happen, Mm. but you don't feel like you can't be just achieving what the next thing is. Mm. If you're an A-type, you're generally driven to find your next challenge and your next achievement Mm because it's very tied up in our identity. But then also the pressure that comes from, you know, externally that you have to be everyone for everyone. And and do you find that setting boundaries for family time, for you time, like pushing back on things to build out a world and schedule that suits you, do you find that difficult? I think for a long time,
0: I've had the mentality that, you know, like The Rock, I actually really like The Rock. (laughs) Um, One of his (laughs) quotes is, you know, always be the hardest worker in the room. yeah And I've really kind of internalized that, but then I'm the hard. you know, I want to be the hardest worker in the room, but I also need to be a really present parent for my children. Mm. I need to be there for every single event. I need to be, you know, mentally present. That's really important to me. I need to, you know, I just, there are too many things and it becomes kind of impossible. Mm. So I'm trying to kind of, I'm trying to find that balance which is, I don't always need to be the hardest worker in the room. I can be the smartest worker in the room. Maybe that's what I should go for. Maybe I should go for, you know, what I'm trying for right now is this sense of effortlessness. Trying to cultivate effortlessness. So, um, you know, it's I don't know if that answers the question, but it's yeah. it's very much like it's something that that is top of mind at the moment because I have taken on. So
1: much right now. Yeah. So it's like it's <laughs> trying to find that balance within that. Mm. And something else I've heard you talk about a lot as well uh, is the imposter syndrome. Yes. And particularly in STEM, which is mm. an area where it's still, you know, there aren't a lot of females in the industry. It's mm-hmm. getting a lot better. There are a lot more initiatives um, and some incredible women out there. But mm-hmm. have you found that a challenge in your journey, particularly early on as well, when you're kind of starting out in a world where mm. tech? has come so far probably in the time that you've been here, even just adapting to those kind of things, like never being able to rest on your mm-hmm. laurels. How have you dealt with the self-doubt that's come along the way? Um, so
0: I, I don't know. I think for a long time I wasn't even aware that I was doubting myself. I think I thought, well, I'm humble. And then I had a couple of occasions where I realised the language that I used about myself was, um, was very different from the language that a lot of other startup founders, you know, male startup founders, male startup founders out of the US particularly <laughs> were using about themselves. Yeah. I was generally very protected. I think if I'd tried to go out for funding at any stage, I think that would have been very challenging and I might have had really really negative experiences around that. Mm. But the experience I have had is that we didn't need to we you know like for whatever reason we didn't need to take any funding we chose not to take any funding I've always been in a position where I didn't need to play the game if there was a game to be played because we were sort of independent heads down mm. um you know we could we could make the decisions we wanted to make and I didn't really li- need to listen yeah. <laughs> to anyone else yeah. having said that I, like, in total honesty, I've been shocked by the difference between tech and chocolate and food. Yeah. Um,
1: Very different industries in terms of...
0: There is a, a warmth, a companionship and a kind of a, a generosity of spirit in, um, in chocolate, in food, in, in the events that I go to around that space. Um, even in, even in events in like, you know, I go to some fashion stuff now, like magazine things and, you know, there's a warmth there and a kindness that sometimes I feel is, you know, there are certainly individuals who I know in tech who are incredibly warm, absolutely beautiful people, but culturally Mm. I have realized that I feel like I can be myself outside of that space in a way that, um. I can't necessarily in the tech space. And I was never, you know, externally. Internally in Envato, we've created our own culture. I love it. The, you know, like the people in Envato are beautiful. I'm very, very happy there. But... Um, out in the field. Out, or... <laughs> out at events sometimes, yeah. you know, particularly events. It's, you know, it's still culturally sometimes, you know, I think uh, not where I would choose to spend all my time and feel like you know um uplifted and yes supported and, and supported yeah, yeah exactly exactly it's and definitely. i'm trying to choose my words really delicately no i know
1: it's a, <laughs> it's it's you know it's tough it's tough yeah. there are some industries where you don't necessarily feel a cultural fit but mm. it's amazing that you've been able to create that in your own workplace as well and that's i think how cultural change starts is by people not playing the game necessarily and just going out and doing their own thing and setting a really good example and by mm. being such a powerful and successful woman who does emanate warmth in everything that that you do and have chocolate on the side you know it adds (laughs) this it gives women in tech I think a really strong example that you don't need to you know live up to the whole I am a tech founder kind of thing Mm. (laughs) you know it's amazing oh thanks so, so nice an amazing story thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so the very last section to finish up is called play ta mm-hmm. and this is my favorite even though i always run it short of time <laughs> because <laughs> i think our identities are all very very caught up in productivity and even mm-hmm. something you said before about if you're not going to be the, the hardest worker in the room, you can be mm-hmm. the strongest. The fact that we all need to be the anything erst in the room, like mm. the most whatever it is, I think is something a lot of us feel that yeah. our identity is in being productive, achieving um, successful people. And we don't leave a lot of time to not be learning and che- mm. achieving and growing. And one thing I found with podcasts and multitasking is something you said before is I ended up burning out because I would define reading a book or listen to a podcast on a walk as rest, Mm. but I was listening to business podcasts or finance books. I'd go in the bath and I'd be like, I'm reading, but I'd be reading a self-help book about developing design thinking or whatever Mm. it was. I know. There's no identity that we cultivate that's just for joy. Mm. And I think the more – the busier you get and the more into your passion that you – are able to work in the more you need that divide because everything becomes really blurred otherwise Mm. Mm because you don't want to stop work there's no incentive so who is cyan outside of Invato if you have Mm -hmm. any time left (laughs) and do you do any activities for yourself that are purely to cultivate joy purely to cultivate joy i'm trying to get better at that So I
0: went to go see a functional medical practitioner not so long ago who is
1: incredibly
0: insightful, but he was saying, you know, how do you kind of, you know, how do you rest? How do you recharge? What are your hobbies? What are your things just for you? And I was like... I don't, <laughs> I don't have any No, because um, I do I tend to work really hard and then I and then I spend time with my kids and call us and those are the things that I do mm. and I tend to give a lot in my relationships um, you know which is great I wouldn't have it any other way and they give me a lot back so you know but I I don't I I have not been someone who's gone you know what I'm gonna take this time out just for me without a lot of guilt Yes, which I know is completely broken, but that is the honest truth of it. Anytime I do anything for myself, which isn't related to my business or my kids' businesses or my kids, I feel guilty. So I've been I trying. Like that's really, a very shared
1: common yeah, feeling among, I think, yeah. particularly women. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think I think it's just life. But I'm but I'm trying to kind of um, I'm trying to spend more time just on you know things that I enjoy. And I agree with you about the the books. So I actually um I actually love comedy. So I've oh, been cool trying really hard and my and my personal trainer's like, Oh, if you laugh, you stimulate your vagus nerve or something. Yeah. <laughs> something. <laughs> the which the I was like nerve. Yeah, it's good enough
1: for me. <laughs> so
0: like I've been watching, you know, like I, I so I've been trying to watch a comedy show every night. Um, play with my dogs who were adorable Um, cooking I find really you know it gets you into flow and it's just pleasurable Um, but I wish I had some really amazing like you know I climb mountains I don't do that. I literally go to the gym every morning. I work and I, you know, and I take care of my kids, but I'm I'm it's pretty good. I can't complain.
1: <laughs> I think that it can be something really small, even if it's just 5 minutes a day. If it's, you know, whatever it is, I think it's so important to have something that is purely without having kind of a productive output in mind mm. at the end of it. So, even if it is one episode per night or yeah. it, or once a week going to a comedy show, whatever it is, I yes. think it's so important to have something that the way that I define it is what are the activities that make you forget what time it is? Yeah. Because if at some point in the week you don't lose your sense mm. of time, then you're mm. not really ever detached enough to kind of get distance and mm. have fresh ideas and you're not resting or reconnecting mm-hmm. with who you are. And even with exercise, I found I was like that's outcome orientated for me. So it's still I was still on, mm. whereas crime fiction has nothing to do with anything yes. that I do in life or anything that I need to learn. Mm. I can just read or watch with a t- or listen to podcasts yes. with like a totally unfocused mind it's just pure enjoyment which I agree is very important mm. I've been trying to um
0: to walk home from work without anything just Great literally idea. like it's about a 40 minute walk just try and walk home from work and just be present during yeah. that walk and I do find when I do that I'm a much calmer happier human yeah. It's just so hard to try and, you
1: know, to do it, ignore, to yeah. <laughs> ignore all the things that you feel like you should be doing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, second last question just to finish up. Mm-hmm. What are three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation? And I have one question, yes. which could be one of the three. Yes. What is the origin of your name, Cyan Taeed. Okay. So, um
0: cyan photo processing color is it your favorite color no no look it's a a lovely color um I think just my parents were really trendy and you know my dad was a photographer and they were like what should we call her and they said let's call her cyan funnily enough I grew up with another kid like you know another photographer friend's child who was called magenta I was going
1: to say Mm -hmm. was there a yellow or no no there was no yellow
0: (laughs) although when I was in design school they used to tease me like the, 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 the lecturers used to be like yellow,
1: black. <laughs> I think Magenta's worse than Cyan, but Magenta, I think Cyan, yeah. Cyan's beautiful. I think oh, it's a beautiful name. Because it does, it makes you think of the ocean and like turquoise waters. And
0: Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I think when you know that, yeah, my husband, he loves that name. I'm always like, eh, I think because I've got such a mouthful of a name.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's like a It stresses name. people it's out. It's very powerful though. Yeah. I mean, it has an apostrophe, like that's cool. You've got Yeah, lots of vowels, apostrophes.
0: Name. I know, I always said, you know, when I get married, I'm going to marry like a guy with a surname like... Smith, and I'm gonna take his name <laughs> to balance out the cyan, and then, of course, married Collis and went from, you know, Marmaris to Tayid. Was It, so, Marmaris? You know, it was wow. my maiden name was Marmaris.
1: Is that Turkish? I'm um, Greek. Oh. yeah, yeah. And ta- what's Tayid?
0: Tayid. So that's Collis's surname, Collis's family name, um, which is Iranian, <gasps> except I think when they went to the UK, it kind of got messed around with a little bit. Cause <gasps> Iranian as well. I think it's a mishmash because if you say that name Iranians will go, That's not an Iranian surname so I've always oh, got a caveat it. But um yeah, bunch of a um, bunch of vowels and an apostrophes. So, so cool. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and two other things. Yes. They can ah, like two other things. Allergies or interesting <gasps> oh, party tricks or skills or <laughs> middle names or um, So there
0: was you know, there was the opera there was the opera That's thing. a great one. Do um, you still and, sing
1: ever? Um
0: in the shower yeah. at a karaoke night I'll belt it out yeah. you'll find at the office sometimes people are like oh sigh, singing again like yeah. songs will get stuck in my head yeah so and I was you know in I, I played a, a bald child monk in Turandot um, and I had to wear a skull cap and then everyone <laughs> I thought say. I was a boy and I was Aww. so upset I was like 12, <laughs> that
1: age. Had really, you like, it's a bad a age. You don't mistake
0: mistaken for a boy. And since then, like, once I remember when I just had kids' calls, I was like, why don't you cut your hair shorter so it's like, so, you know, it's more practical, like a mom haircut. And I was like, no, my God. <laughs> and in my mind, I was like, everyone will think I'm a boy. <laughs> <laughs> so lots of hair. Um, and I'm trying to think of the last thing. Um, and I'm drawing a bit of a blank. Oh i met john oliver um well i didn't meet him i saw john oliver in central park and i was with collis and i was with a woman i work with lauren and um and i saw john oliver and i adore him you fangirled. i shouted i we love you john oliver like literally he was not that far and i shouted at him and then collis went yes and then the woman I was with went, ah, <laughs> and he just looked really alarmed. Oh, my gosh. So, um, and know he knew
1: who you were. Oh,
0: I know. Well, so one day I'm still hoping I'll get to meet John Oliver. I don't know if he Properly. Listened. I hope he listens to your podcast and he'll remember, he'll he'll remember me. That lady from the park. <laughs> so oh. I didn't take her messages. I'm weird around celebrities. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: yes oh that's a good one <laughs> yeah. and the last question is, since i love quotes so much is what's your favorite quote
0: so my favorite quote is a
1: long quote and i actually printed
0: it out because oh, i was like it's so You're gonna forget long it. <laughs> i'm not going to be able to remember the whole thing um but um it's theodore roosevelt and i have it i have one in my office and i have one at home a print out of this because i think it's I think it's so important and it's really wrong, really long. I'm not going to read it very well, but it's the it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds. and you probably weren't expecting me to just monologue a whole day oh, then.
1: That was amazing. Do you know what is so weird? Yeah. The most recent episode's favourite quote was that quote. Oh, did they read it you out know, as well? No, but she didn't read it. Do you know what she said? <laughs> oh, you know, the one about it's not the man who, you know, the Teddy roosevelt (laughs) one. That's all she said. And I was like, I think this is the one. (laughs) She didn't monologue it, so don't worry. That's the first time we've heard it in the full. First time we've monologued it. Oh, what Um, a beautiful way to end. That's amazing.
0: It's, I think it's just, it's, and Theodore Roosevelt was such an, if you look at his life story, I mean, the dude was a gun. I'm just absolutely incredible. But the idea that, It's not about, you know, it it doesn't matter what people say about you, it's about trying to do the stuff. And that to do me the stuff. Yeah, just try and do the stuff. And it doesn't matter what everybody what anybody thinks of it. You were the one who got in the arena when you try and do the stuff. Absolutely. And I, I you I are the greatest that. doer of the stuff.
1: Oh, I try to do the
0: stuff. <laughs> you do a lot of stuff well, we too. We do the stuff. We do the stuff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for doing the stuff with me today. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. <laughs> well, thank you for having me, Sarah. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a woman. As always, please screen shot now and share your takeaways and insights from this episode or your favorite flavors from Hey Tiger or your own milkshake if you've already downloaded the app and tag Cyan Taeed and myself so we can reshare. As you know, it makes us so, so happy to see what you thought of each episode and each chat. I will pop links to the app, to Cyan's various websites and of course our very own Facebook community too if you want to join. Highly, highly recommend that you all start whipping up your own milkshakes and mine's up now in my bio if you need an example. It's an absolute game changer. Hope you're having an amazing day and are seizing your yay.